Tom Maluli is an investment advisor representative with Maluli Asset Management. All opinions expressed by Tom and his podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Maluli Asset Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Maluli Asset Management may maintain positions in securities discussed in this podcast. Welcome to the Maluli Asset Management Podcast. Uh, this is Tom Maluli. I'm joined by Tim Maluli. Hey, everybody. And this is episode 184. 184. I almost said 185. Yeah. But uh, we're going to talk about a topic that we covered a few podcasts, a few episodes back right. in December, uh, but it apparently... It's back. <laughs> it's back. We need to revisit the yeah. Department of Labor uh, changes that are coming now on June 9th. That's right, yeah. Does everyone uh, remember that DOL rule that people were talking about a lot last year? Um, well, like Tom said, it's coming back June 9th, so next week it'll go into partial effect, not full effect. Um, it was scheduled originally to go into this partial effect back in March or April, I think, but it got delayed. Um, but it's finally going into somewhat of effect. So we figured we'd give everybody a refresher as to what this rule is, who it affects, and you know a the ins and outs. A couple of things that I think are important. Um, Tim's right in the sense that uh, this was originally supposed to be in place April 10th. Right. And uh, with the full effect of January 1st of next year, 2018, and uh, that full implementation date... That's still the case. Still That's alive. still set. Yep. Yeah. So the, the, the major change, and I sat on a panel at NASDAQ uh, right. at the end of November discussing uh, the Department of Labor changes. At the time, we didn't know it was going to get pushed back like it has. But um, I remember speaking with a reporter afterwards, and I said, uh, you know, for one of the few times in my career I can remember being the after picture, not the before picture, because uh, it sounds like on the surface that they would prefer to see advisors gravitate more towards the business model that we've got here at Maluli Asset Management. Right. Yeah. For for us here as a firm, it's not going to have too many big changes to put into effect with this rule. It's it's more going to affect um, people in the broker dealer side of of things, um, but. It's just going into partial effect on June 9th. So what exactly does that mean? And, and June 9th happens to be a Friday, so I think they're, everyone's going to be good over the weekend. Right. Um, so they're, they're not going to really enforce any of the rules on the very first day that this is in place. And it's kind of um, – what was the analogy that you saw in a magazine? I think uh, uh, – in. One article in Forbes said there's a, in quotes, no bite during this partial effect period, meaning the rules are there and they want you to abide by them, but there's not going to be any real enforcement of them until the January 1st full effect. 
So they're kind of making a trial run. Right. Just a, a dry run to, it's kind of, um, you could call it like a soft open when you open a restaurant, uh, I think okay. was the quote from the Forbes article. Um, you know, even though you know you have to act uh, in the best interest of your investors, there's no one really enforcing it. So it's pretty amazing to think that between basically now and January 1st, we're going to force people in the industry to act in the best interest of investors. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Like, Shouldn't we... that have always been the case? Right. So I just want to read some things that were in the Department of Labor Frequently Asked Questions, which is a really, you know, if you want to read the entire uh, rules that they put out, go right ahead. Yeah. But they put out a couple of these Frequently Asked Question uh, guides, and they're excellent. They're, much they much really easier good. to read yeah. for everyday people. So what they talked about was... Uh, during this transition period, which we're going to be entering now, advisors and financial institutions must give advice in the client's best interest. I, I, I'm, I'm, Duh. yeah, I'm <laughs> shocked. And and I, and they said that you know, in the client's best interest, has to have two component components. It has to involve prudence and loyalty. Um, very hard to prove, right, in a court of law, but. Uh, I, I still can't believe that everyone is not subject to that level. Um, so just spending a, minute, a moment talking about fiduciary obligation. So we're investment advisors. We have a fee-only practice. We assume the mantle of a full fiduciary obligation when we're managing our clients' investments. But even a broker... Uh, has to have some modicum of fiduciary obligation. They can't be reckless. Right. I mean, they're, they're first of all, they're not going to be in business very long, right. and and secondly, they're just going to get, you know, one complaint after the other uh, other until they're out of business. So there always is some measure of fiduciary obligation. But now what they're trying to do is drive home the point that you, if you're going to be giving advice you are going to have a, a fiduciary obligation for your clients. And that has never been the case for Surprising. brokers. It, it's amazing. Yeah. TD Ameritrade puts out uh, surveys, and year after year after year, they would publish data where they would poll clients, investors, and they had no idea that brokers did not have a fiduciary obligation to their clients. It's almost, I feel like it's a question that would never get asked because it's something that you just assume, assume. people are always going to act in, you know, just have good nature about them and do the right thing for people. But right. obviously not the case. Yeah. So um, going back to those frequently asked questions, one of the other things that they said during the transition period is that advisors uh, and financial institutions, in addition to giving uh, investors advice in their best interest, they can't charge more than no more than reasonable compensation. Uh, they th this one gets me all the time. They can't make misleading statements about transactions or about compensation uh, or about 
any potential conflicts of interest. I mean, again, you can't see me because it's a podcast, but I'm shaking my head like, yeah. really? I, that's amazing. But yet, uh, before we turn the microphone on, Tim and I were talking about specific instances where a new client would come into our office, they would show us the statements, and what would they tell us? They would say, uh, their old broker advisor would say, oh, they're well, there was no commission in there. Right. Well, no, yeah, no commission, but there might not be any commission, but they're they they got paid on some sort of fee yeah. that was you know baked into the the product that was sold. Baked so in, baked into the cake. Technically, commission. It, there was none, but you know they they still get paid. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that um, that never really gets discussed very much is where this whole idea about uh, fiduciary, uh, the fiduciary obligation, and this whole Department of Labor change came from. And it really sprouted from story after story where um, investors had a 401k account at work. And then they were talked into rolling their account over into once they leave the company into an IRA. Now, what are some of the potential problems in that scenario? I mean, there are a number of problems that could arise from from that. I mean, first off, no one is forcing you to roll your money out of your 401k. Right. And a lot of the funds, most of the time in a 401k have greatly discounted fees. Hey, Tim, I want to just pause right, hit the pause button for a second, because I think that's a misunderstanding that a lot of people have, that they, I think many people have been conditioned to the idea that, okay, I had this 401k at work, and now I'm retiring, so I have to do something with it, right? No. They don't. People might think that, but that's not the case. You can, you can leave that money in, in your 401k, even if you're not working at that company for as long as as long as you want. Right. And so even when you get to the point where you're say 70 years of age or beyond and you need to need to begin taking required minimum distributions, the 401k plan administrators will calculate that for you right. and work with you to take that distribution. You're under no obligation to roll that money from a 401k plan into an IRA. But then what happens when they go from a 401k plan into an IRA? Well, it opens it opens up the door for them to be sold a number of different products that potentially have much higher fees than what they were paying inside the 401k plan. So it most of the time ends up costing these people more money in fees and they most likely don't realize that that's happening. Right. There's all kinds of different plans out there. Now, if you work in a small business and you've got a 401k plan that's being administered by the the owner's uh, financial advisor down the street, it's probably not going to be a very cheap plan. Right. But suppose you worked for a big Fortune 500 company. I've got to believe that they've negotiated some pretty cheap fees mm-hmm. for the investments in their plan. Right. So you're really not 
you you really um, it may wind up costing you money to go into some of these products. Then the whole other question becomes, am I doing the right thing with these investments? I mean, we've all read horror stories about, you know, clients retiring and they're putting all their money into the dot-com mutual funds in the late 90s. Right. And it was great for a few months until it wasn't great for a few months. Yeah. So, I mean, you can run into all kinds of uh, problems. So I think that's really a, a, a big issue is that this whole Department of Labor business really kind of emanated from these horror stories that we've heard from people who rolled their money out of a 401k plan when they didn't need to do that and then went into an IRA where sold a lot of crappy products, great fees for the broker or advisor, and these investments went, you know, they started circling the drain. Right. It's just really bad. Yeah. So, and this is money that people have to live on for the rest of their lives. Yeah. So that whole 401k transition business really became a, a the 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 starting point right. for these Department of Labor changes. But they're still under review. Yeah. Uh, um, under the new administration, there's been a mandate uh, for the Department of Labor to conduct a review of the rule. So in essence, it could still change or I mean, there's still the possibility that before January, this thing could be scrapped. Right. Which is... It's definitely not a uh, finished deal that it's going to 100% go into full effect on January 1st. It's still up in the air, mm-hmm. depending on this review. And, you know, there had been... Uh, talks about a delay or pushing it back even further than just the June 9th. Um, but the the DOL released uh, their official 60-day delay to the rule. So here we are, ready for it to go into this transition period on June 9th. Yeah, I don't know how many people are actually really ready for this. Right. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what, what's going on. I know that um, in March, I mean, right before the initial... Uh, implementation date of Vanguard and BlackRock, two of the biggest asset managers out there, called for a much, much significant, much more significant delay, uh, considering all the confusion that the rules have caused. So uh, they did open uh, a period of time, about two weeks, for public comment, which is not—it's really not a long time, but right. they got. Uh, it says, according to an Investopedia article, they got 193,000 comment letters. Yeah, which uh, and, is and a I lot. think almost all of them were, were uh, opposing a delay. Right. So um, I, I thought that was pretty amazing to see those kind of numbers. Um, the the legislation itself is over a thousand pages in length, and I'm sure, like all legislation coming out of Washington these days, it's going to increase exponentially uh, before it's it's a final deal. But uh, if it's not stopped, it's going to automatically elevate all professionals in the investment business who work with retirement plans or provide retirement planning advice to the level of becoming a fiduciary. You're going to be, if you're an advisor who has retirement accounts, you're going to be bound ethically and legally to meet the standards of the of the fiduciary practice. And that means all 
advisors or professionals in the business uh, would have to act in their client's best interest above his or her own interests. Right. So you can't put yourself first in front of your clients. It's got to be the other way around. Right. And that's really the whole idea behind being a fiduciary is you got to treat your client's money better than you would take care of your own. Right. So it's more than just being suitable. So uh, the recommendations to clients now have to be suitable and they have to be prudent. They have to be in the client's best interest. So if you want to buy a stock XYZ, if you're a client, uh, and it's really, I mean, it's doubled in the last couple of months and it's really speculative, you know, it might be better to wait for this thing to pull back or look for another opportunity. So I think the thing that really kind of surprised me with all of these exemptions that came out is that advisors can still work on a commission basis with their clients. Surprising enough, um, there are a number of different exemptions out there. One called the Best Interest Contract Exemption. The BIC. Uh, the BIC, B-I-C. People have been shortening it to. Um, so it, it allows advisors to continue to work on a commission, um, but they must uh, provide clients with a lot of disclosures uh, beforehand. And I mean, just reading the frequently asked questions, it seems like it's a lot of hoops to jump through if you want to continue to work under the commission-based uh, world. Yeah. I, I think if you're a brokerage client, you should prepare to buy a bigger mailbox right. or uh, you know, just prepare to get flooded with a lot more paperwork because as they begin this transition period now June 9th, and through the start of this actual implementation on January 1st of next year, financial institutions have to, have to notify their clients of their fiduciary status and any material conflicts of interest. So, you know, we provide all of that when we get started with a client, but, you know, suppose you're a big brokerage firm, you've got retail clients, you do investment banking for other clients, that their stock or their bonds are going to show up in the mutual funds and the ETFs and all the different products that they own. I mean, you know, they're going to have to send out some be a lot. phone book size right. uh, updates to clients. I, the printers are going to make a lot of money. Yeah. I don't, I don't know who else is. Yeah. It's a good thing, uh, this Department of Labor fiduciary rule. It really is a good thing because it's going to help level the playing field in terms of um, taking away the conflict of, or hopefully beginning to take away the conflict of interest that brokers have in working with individual investors. Yeah, and it hopefully will give investors who may be skittish about working with people in the industry because they think, ah, oh, there's... They're just trying to scam me out of money. It hopefully will give people peace of mind to know that the person they're working with is putting their best interests in mind when they're getting recommendations. That's a good point to end on. So thanks for tuning in to episode 184 of the Maluli Asset Management Podcast. And uh, look for us again on the next one, 185. Thanks again. Hey, thanks for listening. Listen, I have a big favor to ask you, and it might take you 30 seconds or less, and it would mean a lot to me. If you like this podcast, please let me know, and let the team know as well. 
And you can do this very easily by subscribing to the podcast. It's probably the biggest favor you can do for me right now, and it's really simple. Just go over to iTunes, search for Maluli Asset, and click subscribe. Again, it'll only take a few seconds to subscribe, and if you subscribe now, it'll really help me out a lot. Thanks again.